let's take a look at the Word of God together. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. The Word of God says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or about what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Quick little side note, the answer to that is yes. I know some of you, some of us may be kind of dithering on that, but the answer to that is yes. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And of which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you being anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you because we want to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear your living voice inside of our lives. Lord, you have crafted these words because they are right, because they are true, and because we need them to live. And so, our Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we meditate on them and as we think about these words, that your Spirit would speak to them exactly where we need to hear them and apply them for our lives to be strengthened and your name to be honored. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're talking about the promises of God. We believe that one of the greatest nourishments that we need in our lives this day is to be reminded of the promises of God because they lift us up and they build us up and they give us the strength to believe all that God can do for us. And so this morning, the promise that we have in this passage of Scripture is God will provide for the details of our lives. God will provide for the details of our lives. Now, that is good, that is right, and that is strong. But it is stronger when we make that in the first person. So we put it up here on the screen, the truth as it applies to my life, and let's read this together. God will provide for the details of of my life. Let's try that again as though we were auditioning for American Idol or something, all right? Okay, not with like high pitched, but let's do that together like we really mean it. God will provide for the details of my life. Boy, isn't that a word we need to hear? 
Isn't that a word that we need to be encouraged and reminded of in this day? I think it's quite possible dozens of people came to church this morning and said, that's exactly the word that I needed to be reminded of. That's exactly the word that I needed to come to church. And someone needed to remind me of this truth that God provides for the details of my life. And so I hope that you hear that loud and clear. I hope you hear it from the reading of the text. I hope that you read hear it from when we talk about it. I hope that you feel it all the way down to your toes. God provides for the details of my life. But at the same time, the same time as we hear this word and the same time as we hear this promise, we do have to be honest that, that as we put this word in front of us and we say that God provides for the details of our life, we have to be honest that there's a little bit of a tug of war that goes on when we hear these things. Because on the one hand, we hear the promise that God says, I will provide for all the details of your life. And that's the pull. That's the word that we've just heard. But at the same time, on the other side of that rope, it's those details of life. And sometimes those details of life can seem pretty strong. Sometimes those details of life can seem pretty aggressive. Sometimes those details of life start to feel like they're squeezing in. And so here's this tug of war between here's what the Word of God says. God says, I'll provide for the details of my life. But then you get home and you look at your bank statement. You look at your, your, your medical appointments. You look at all the details that are coming up and you're like, whoo, that's an awful lot of stuff. Let me tell you, we live in a vulnerable age. We deal with surrounded by daily struggles. We deal with the fear of things such as a dot-com bubble where everything disappears, a real estate bubble where everything disappears, a sudden arrival of, of, a, uh, of a virus, uh, of the changing of schools, the changing of an economy, of disasters, of health, of medical bills, plus just the day-to-day -day operations of life car repairs, school expenses for your kids, college expenses, Christmas expenses, vacation, all the things that you want to try to figure out. There's this pull. And so here it is. You, we can stand and we can come to church and we say, God provides for all of the details of my life. But you're like, as soon as I leave here, I'm going to feel the squeeze of all of those things. Now I got to tell you, there's something that's right and healthy about that tug of war. Because I believe that the best way that we come to the word of God, the best way that we come before God is that we bring all of the details of life. And we put them all on the table at the same time. The problem that we have sometimes is that we talk about our faith and it's disconnected from the details of our life. The other side of it is that sometimes we look at our details of our life and we disconnect it from the God who provides for all of those details. There is a tug and there is a tension. And that is a healthy thing because it means that we're dealing with our faith in the context of real life. But let me tell you who wins the tug of war. What wins the tug of war is the word of God is the final word. His word is the final word, and he says that he will provide for the details of all of my life. Do you know what happens 
when we disconnect my life experiences from the promise of God? Do you know what happens when we just look and feel the tension and the pull of all of the details of my life and we disconnect it from the promise of God? You know what we end up with? It's a very technical term. It's called, you might want to write this down. It's a very technical word. It's called worry. It's called worry. It comes when we begin to drown and say, here are the details of my life. I don't know that I'm going to survive. Now, what's interesting, I like to look at kind of the history of these words sometimes. And I looked at the history of the word worry. And it starts here, and about 50 years ago, it goes up to here. I looked at the history of the word anxiety, anxious. It starts here, and about 50 years ago, it goes all the way up here. Those are modern words. I don't know what it was like to live 150 years ago before they invented the word worry or anxiety. But what's fascinating to me is when Jesus speaks to his disciples... And when Jesus speaks to the crowds, they were leaning in to say, who is this Jesus guy? He talks to them about anxiety and he talks to them about worry because he knows that's the struggle that we will face. That that's the struggle that exists all of the time when we disconnect the realities of our life with the promise of God. What we're left with every time is worry. So what does Jesus say about worry in this passage of Scripture? What is his word about worry? Well, he, he does speak fairly directly about it. The first thing that he wants you to know is he wants you to know that worry is needless. Worry is needless. And, and you could almost picture Jesus on the side of the mountain teaching the disciples. There's a bit of a natural amphitheater there. And so he is speaking to a huge crowd of people. And he's beginning to talk to them about being anxious. And at that very moment, some birds fly overhead. And Jesus said, don't be anxious about your daily needs, what you're going to eat and how you're going to survive. And here come these birds. And Jesus says, consider the birds. Look at the birds of the air. Susan has a, uh, has a, has a little bit of a, of a feeding station in the back of our house for birds. She's had some, um, some hummingbird uh, feeders. Uh, she's got some seed feeders out there, and she's been watching these birds come and go. And it's, it's really quite enjoyable to go in the backyard and see these birds coming in. I, I think that she knows these birds. I, I think she knows them by name. Uh, she sees these birds coming and going. She tells the birds that are being greedy that they need to back up and they need to leave room for some of the other birds uh, that are coming in if some of the birds make a mess she gives them a stern talking to that they need to not be so messy in how they're eating all of this seed and going through all of this seed and things like that and she's been taking care of these birds ever since we moved into this house but here's the reality before we moved into that house those birds weren't starving those birds were not, I don't know if we're going to make it another week. I hope somebody moves in here and puts in a hummingbird feeder and a couple of seed feeders. And if we move to the other side of town, you're not going to come into our neighborhood and find these starving birds and say, whatever happened to Susan, she took care of us. She was the one. 
You never see starving birds like that. Why? Because God has put inside of them the ability to find food. He has provided food for them. And Jesus says to the crowd that's listening, and said, listen, those birds, they're everywhere. Aren't you worth more than the birds? He says, and if I will take care of the birds, don't you think that you as the crown jewel of my creation, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? He says, I know what you need. I know that the things that, that, that are important in your life, I know what matters more. I think in this hurricane season that we're in and 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 we this is like the first Sunday in a month where we haven't had a hurricane that just happened about to happen might gonna happen and we we're, we're sending relief in all different kinds of direction you know who sends the best hurricane relief I mean our church does but 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 you know in general you know who sends the best hurricane relief people who have been through a hurricane People from Florida, people from Louisiana, people from Texas. Why? Because they know what folks surviving a hurricane need. Now, I'm sure that the folks from Minnesota mean well. But they haven't been through that journey and they don't know it. And so this tells us that, listen, you don't need to worry because your heavenly Father knows what you need. Worry is needless. But Jesus says it's not just needless. Worry is useless. Now, sometimes we get an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with someone. And we just kind of look up to this person. And we just begin to want to know, tell me about the secrets to your life. Maybe this person has lived a really long time. Maybe they've been super successful. Maybe they used to do your job before you had your job. And you just get a chance to sit down with them and say, tell me the secrets. Tell me what's made you successful. Tell me what makes things work for you. Tell me what I need to know from your life. And they stop and they think. And the answer they give you is, well, I just determined that every time something happened in my life, I just made sure I worried. I just made sure that there was nobody was going to worry more than I worried. And every time something came up on the horizon, anytime something came that, that could be bad, I just made a commitment that I was going to worry more. Anyone ever tell you that when you ask them for the secret of success? Have you ever look back at your life and you had a time in which you were sick and you said, you know what made what pulled me through is I worried. And another time when you were struggling with some stuff with your kids and said, you know what pulled me through that moment? I worried. I had a difficulty at my job. Do you know what pulled me through in that moment? I worried. I had some big decisions that I had to make. And you know what made the difference there? I worried. It is impossible to move our lives into success through worry. Now, this doesn't mean we don't plan. This doesn't mean we don't work. This doesn't mean we don't address issues that are on the horizon that we might see. Those are actions. But just plain marinating on everything that is wrong or could be wrong has never moved anyone to success. 
Jesus says your worry, your anxiousness is needless and it's useless. When it comes to worry, he says, and this is the Greek for you, this is how it says it in the Greek, he says, how's that working for you? He says, which of you have added even using your worry skills? How many of you have ever added an hour to your life because of how well you worried? Another way to look at this could be just adding length to life. How many of you have grown a half inch because you worried your way to it? How many of you had, would like to be just a little bit taller? And if you just worry, then you'll get there. It doesn't work. Not only is it needless because your heavenly Father considers you more valuable than the birds and the flowers, but it's useless because it accomplishes nothing. It has no usefulness and it never drives you forward at all. He also says, listen, when it comes to worry, when it comes to anxiousness, he says, not only is it needless, not only is it useless, but he says it's harmful because it distracts us from the things that matter most. He says, when you chase your worries, when you fixate on your worries, what you're really doing is behaving, living, believing as though God doesn't exist. You'll see in this passage, he says, you know, when you worry about this and what you'll wear and what you'll eat and, and all of these details of life, he says, that's what the Gentiles do. Now, when he talks about Gentiles there, he is talking about people who live as though there is no God. Worry is just practical atheism. It's just practical, functional saying there isn't a God who's going to take care of this. And he says instead of being like a person who doesn't believe that there is a God, he says instead seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and then all of these things will be added unto you. He says what you need to be spending your energy, your life, your pursuit on is the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. That is the pathway that you need to be spending your energy and your life on. He says that when our worry is harmful because it distracts us from what matters most. He also tells us our worry is harmful because it carries a load that we can't handle. I've been trying to put this off for for a long time, but I just need to draw the curtain back. I'm a little odd sometimes. There are some things that I do or some ways that I think that just don't make sense to other people. I've been trying to hide that for as long as we've known each other, and I think it's just it's going to come out. Just keep that in mind, okay? When we got married, for some reason, another reason we got married is because we loved each other. That's not, the, that's not the weird part. The weird part is that we would go grocery shopping and we would come home with the groceries. And for some reason, I determined inside of my heart that here is the challenge that I'm going to have. I'm always going to bring in the groceries in one load. 
uh, I'm going to carry all the groceries in one load. See, you, you understand that. And, and maybe it's because we lived on the second floor and I didn't feel like going back downstairs. And, and so I said, I'm going to get the groceries all in one load. So I put them up and it was only like four or five bags. We, we didn't have any money. There was just the two of us. It was no big deal. And then you know, groceries got a little bit more complicated, and we started to have kids, one kid, and then another kid, and they turned in uh, to teenagers, and now all of a sudden, that grocery cart is filling that trunk up a bunch, but through the whole time, I stuck with my commitment that said, I'm carrying them all in at one load, and so now I'm starting, I got bags all the way up to my elbow, I've got a 12-pack of drinks here, I'm trying to sling some stuff over my shoulder, and I'm carrying it into the house, and I'm gonna do it. Now, you may look at that and say, that's ridiculous. And you might have a good reason to say that. There's no reason. You can always go back and get another load. You don't have to carry it all at once. All right, you might be right. But here's the deal. There's a good chance I'm not the only one carrying more stuff than I need to be carrying. Because what Jesus says is part of the problem with your worry is that you're carrying tomorrow's worry today and there's no benefit to carrying tomorrow's worry. He says you got enough stuff for today that you don't need to spend time carrying tomorrow's stuff. It'll be there waiting for you when it comes. And so you can chuckle and say, well, Tim, you're carrying more stuff than you need to. There's at least one person in the room today that's also carrying more stuff than they need to. You don't need to carry all of tomorrow in this day. Worry is harmful because it also costs us the lessons that he's trying to teach us right now. You know, someone has said that health and wealth weans us from our need of Christ. You know, some of the difficulties that, that you're dealing with, that you're facing, that are very real. Hear me, hear me, hear me. One of the things I wanted to be committed to as I preach this message is I don't want to make light of anything that anyone in this room is dealing with. We, we, we could have quite some time just sharing some of the weight that the people in this room are carrying, and we'd be amazed by it. And there's no way in which I want to minimize any of it. But I also want to tell you that sometimes in the hardness is when he wants to do his goodness. In the middle of that hard thing that you're walking in is the middle of when he wants to do that good thing inside of your life. And sometimes we are so quick to try to run away from it that it does not give God time to finish that work inside of our lives. Now, how many of you are ready to just walk out and say, well, I'm never going to worry again? I was worried that'd be your response. So how do we live our life without worry? The, the, Jesus actually addresses this in the verses immediately preceding this. And going back to verse 19, he, he, talks, he talks about a handful of things here. He, he talks about in verse 19, he talks about where we lay up our treasures. He says, because where we put our treasures, he says, that's where our heart is. And so if we want to find peace, then we have to have the right 
treasures. Our kids were with us this weekend. They spent some time talking about all kinds of things. And one of the topics of conversation that came up was their all-time greatest argument. And so they kind of went back, and together, both of them came up with the same argument, all-time greatest argument of their lives. And it happened when they were way like this, and now they're 25 and 22 years old. And it goes way back, and we started out, well, what was it? And they both agreed. It was over a Monopoly game. And one of them was the banker. And that banker gave the other one a wrinkled dollar bill from Monopoly. And they wanted a clean dollar bill. And the banker wouldn't give them back a clean one because they said, this is legal tender in the game of Monopoly. This is it. And, they have, and the funny thing is, we talked about it at lunch. They were about ready to climb over the table at each other again. It's a wrinkled version of fake money in a pretend game. That's not worth life. Let me tell you, there are some treasures that you and I are chasing after that at the end of life we're going to look back at and it's going to be just as silly as a wrinkled fake bill in a pretend game that happened a decade and a half ago. We have to have the right treasures. There's another word about peace. The passage continues there in verse 22. It talks about the eye is the light of the body. And it talks about it's through the eye that the, that the light comes in into our life. And if we don't have our eyes open, then what comes in is we're, we're, we're stuck with the darkness inside of us. And it tells us in this passage of Scripture that we have to have the right inputs in our lives. Where are your eyes, your mind? And your heart been fixated on in the last 14 days. Let me tell you, where your heart, your eyes, your mind, your ears, the input that's coming in through there is defining what's inside of your heart and inside of your life. And if our inputs aren't bringing in light and goodness in the things of God, where do we think that the life of God inside of us is going to come from? If we want to live a life that has faith and depending on Him, then we have to choose the right inputs. Now, what our logical response to this is, well, I mean, I'm not going to have perfect inputs, uh, this is what I'm trying to do in my life is, is I'm trying to have some inputs that are of God and, and then I choose some inputs that are from me. Hey, there are some things that I like and there are some things that I know that God likes. Hey, and so I'm just trying to find and make sure that there's a balance of there's some stuff from God and there's some stuff from me. Sounds fair, right? I mean, most of us feel like we could improve our lives if we could find a good balance between the God stuff and the my stuff. True? But listen to what it says here in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, because you cannot serve God and money or God and stuff. You see, we're like, God, I'm going to cut you a deal. 
I'm going to cut you a balanced deal here, a deal you cannot refuse. We're going to split life 60-40. We'll figure out who gets the 60 and who gets the 40 later. I says, no, I need your whole heart. I need you to pursue me with your whole being. Not just with your leftovers, not just with your improved life, but with your whole life. We have to have the right focus for our lives. I want to be practical for a few minutes as we think about the the now what to the message. Because again, it's that tug of war between the realities of my life experience and the promises of God. How do we work these things out? Over the course of our life, God has taken care of us. But that doesn't mean that there haven't been some touch-and-go moments. That doesn't mean there haven't been some seasons when we felt some pressure that was pretty heavy on our lives. That doesn't mean that there weren't some seasons when we kind of felt like we were stuck or headed in the wrong direction and we didn't necessarily know how this ship was getting turned around. And there are times that it could become fairly paralyzing for our lives. Here is the way in which I've tried to lead our family as we process those days. I begin with the first statement that says that we put God first in our lives. There's no way that I can ask God to bless my life If my life is obviously being lived in a way that's not honoring or pleasing to God. So if I want to seek the blessings of God for my life, I have to line up my life for him. That includes my financial life. And so from the day one of our marriage, the first thing that we deal with financially is our offering, our tithe, our giving to God through the church that we belong in. Now, that's not just as a check mark so that God will just bless us. Sometimes people will put one of those stickers on, on their license plate or on the, back of their, on the back of their car because there's the idea that if you have that sticker, you, you won't get a speeding ticket. Anyone ever saw? I'll go check the parking lot out there, see how many are, are out there, and don't tell me whether it works or doesn't work. But that's not what tithing or spiritually participating financially is. It's not that if if I do this, then God will put this bubble of protection on my life. It just means I line up my life as closely as I can to God. And that means with my words, that means with my thought, that means with my deeds, and that means with my money. And so if I'm going to work my way through the financial struggles of life, it begins by lining up my life to please God in every way that I can. The second piece that, we, that we've applied in our lives is that we make the best decision we can today. Best decision that we can today. Now, sometimes the best decision that we can make today feels really, really empty because if we just do this, it's not going to fix all that stuff out there. And, and sometimes we get overwhelmed with tomorrow's worries but my commitment, and we haven't gotten this perfect, 
but our commitment is, based on my resources, my opportunities, the decisions that are in front of me today, what is the wisest and rightest thing for me to do today? And sometimes it may seem like the smallest thing. Just do the smartest thing you can do, the wisest thing you can do today. Sometimes the smartest thing you can do today is to put off stupid until tomorrow. Like just, just hold stupid back for 24 hours and then do that again tomorrow. Just give yourself a chance by making the wisest decision you can make in this day. And then thirdly, trust God. Because he is the God that will provide for all of the details of life. He does. He does. He does. He has. He has in our lives. Susan and I have been married for 28 years. It's not been a straight line. But he has provided in every single season. The family that I grew up in, my, my parents, we followed a very similar plan. He provided for every single day of those lives. There are across the room people that can give testimony to God provided, sometimes dramatically, sometimes miraculously, sometimes extraordinarily, and sometimes just a simple drip, 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 drip of provision. Consider the birds of the air. Are you not more valuable than they? He knows what you need? Consider the lilies of the field who are dressed in greater splendor than even Solomon on his best day. Are you not more valuable than the flowers and the grass that grows up one day and is dead the next? Don't be like a Gentile who pretends or does not believe that there is a God, but instead seek first his kingdom and all of his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you.